Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about judges, and we're going to talk about words and the meaning of words, and I have an article coming out, and we'll eventually associate some of these recordings with that article when it does come out, and it's kind of iconoclastic, as usual, it's kind of earth-shattering to most religions because most religions and I'm, I'm using that whole term religion as we think of it today the definition today religion is that institution that you go to you know Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran Seventh-day Adventist uh, Jehovah Witnesses, Catholic Muslims Jews Shiites, Buddhists, I don't care which one it is. All of them have some elements of what religion was to Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ. But they are all missing the mark. Every single one of those official institutions is missing the mark. What a bold statement. How brash can I get? And I'm rebuking every one of those religions. For where they fall short of the ways of God. And they all fall short. They all have a certain arrogance about they know. They got it. They figured it out. But what it is, is almost every one of these religions, as we see them generally practiced today. I'm not talking about specific individuals. Because there will be individuals in every one of those religions that are not far from the kingdom of God not far from the gospel of Christ. But they have been seduced into strong delusions. And that is these religious institutions. You know, we talk about us being at His Holy Church. We're not at His Holy Church. We're striving to conform to Christ. To conform to the prophets of Abraham and Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist. We're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what we're doing. We're not His church. We're seeking to be His church. And we're testifying to the fact that that's what we're seeking. And we describe what that looks like. And it doesn't look like what we see posing as modern religion. Because modern religion has gone astray. Which is why the world is in the mess that it's in. It was prophesied that we would screw up. And through covetousness we would become merchandise. We'd again become entangled in the bondage of the world. We would not just be in the world, be of the world. And we would go astray. But there would be some that would say, No, I don't want to go astray. I want to go the righteous way, the righteous path. And that righteous path is what Christ was describing. It's what Moses was describing. It's what Abraham was describing. It's what John the Baptist was describing. And therefore, it was what Elijah was describing. And it's in the text. 
Now, I will admit that all the translations have been meddled with. Words are something that you can meddle with. Words have multiple definitions, and you can apply this definition or that definition. And then there's metaphors. You know, we're supposed to be living stones. Are we supposed to be walking around like statues? No, it's a metaphor. You know, when when they talk about the hardness of your heart, you know, stone hearts... What are they talking about? That's a metaphor. We don't really think people have stone hearts. And the, the Bible is full of metaphors. Cast your bread upon the waters. What church goes down to the river and throws bread in every Sunday or Sabbath? None. Why? Because it's a metaphor. The altars of sacrifice, altars of stone, altars of clay, these are metaphors. You're the altar of clay. The, the word they use for clay there is Adama. That's you, sons of Adam. Altars of sons of Adam. You're an altar of clay. Altars of stone. That was like the Levites. That was like the early ministers who had to sell everything they had and become the ministers of Christ. We see Barnabas doing it. He was Hoses, who was a Levite, who was supposed to have done it as well. But Hasmoneans changed all that. And the Jews today still change all that. What the Levite was supposed to be. The Levite had no inheritance in the land. Actually, that's probably true now because nobody has inheritance in the land. Every one of you are in subject to inheritance tax. They can take 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of everything that you inherit. Because you don't have inheritance anymore. You don't inherit from your parents. You inherit from the state. They take what they want and you get what's left over. Because you don't own your land. So the Levites didn't own their land in their name. They had no personal estate. They belonged to God. But they were the ministers of society. It was up to the elders of every single congregation which was the heads of every single family in congregation, to choose which minister they were going to tithe to. They say, oh, tithing's been done away with. That was the Old Testament. Tithing was your taxes. That was your free will offering, your peace offering, your offering to take care of the widows and the orphans of society. That's what tithing was. It was to care for the needy. And you did it tithing because there were ten families in a congregation. So they call it tithing. It wasn't because it was 10%. Yeah, it should be about 10%. And you shouldn't be picking out the junky stuff. I used to know a rancher who, he had a hired man who worked all month long. And then he was supposed to get free beef. And then when he would need beef, he'd have to go to the rancher and ask him for beef. And he would go out to his... This is rare among ranchers, by the way. But this particular one, he went out of business. No wonder. He would spend $600 on buying drinks at the bar, but then he wouldn't spend any money on his hired man who was keeping the ranch running while he was recovering from his binge at the bar. But anyway, he would go out to the freezer and he would look for all the crummy cuts of meat. And he'd give them all the leftover stuff, the worst of what was in his freezer that he didn't want to eat, he would give it to his hired man. Is that going to instill a hired man who wants to work his fingers to the bone for this guy? No. No. It didn't. 
And you should do the same with the Levite. You don't go through and pick out the junk. You let the shoot choose what you're going to give him. In other words, you know, you be fair about it. You give him an equal portion to what you yourself are getting. Because you're, you're sharing. And that's what the kingdom's all about, is sharing. And why do you share with the Levite? He's to take care of the widows and the orphans. The needy of your society. He's to be your health, education, and welfare. Your FEMA. This was government. You still tithe. You just have compulsory tithing now. <laughs> your ministers aren't in your churches. That religion is just there to make you feel good. The religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. That's what religion meant. It's what you did. The performance of your duty to your fellow man and to God. So, to take care of uh, FEMA, to take care of education, to take care of local fire department and police. That is... That is, you're tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. To pay the judges for their time. That's what the tithing was for. To take care of the needy of society and tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's what tithing was for. And there were, you know, there were several layers of this tithing. And like I say, there were peace offerings, which actually had to do with the military. You know, and, and police. And that's, that's how they supported their government, through free will offerings, because that was a republic. That was a free nation. The leaders were only titular. They couldn't force an offering. Saul forced an offering. But you weren't even to have a Saul. You only got a Saul because you were rejecting God. And you were told that if you reject God and, and elect a leader, who can exercise authority one over the other, that he would end up appointing his men from the top down. He would take and 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 take your sons and daughters and put them in danger. And he would do all these things. And you'll cry out to me and I'm not even going to hear you. That's what you were told. And that's what you've done again. You think the only way to have a government is to have someone who can exercise authority and force the contributions of the people so that you can have free education, free health care, guaranteed policemen out there protecting you, which mostly they're out there taxing you. You know, they're giving you tickets. A ticket is a tax. It's a sin tax. That's right. When you pay the ticket, that's your sin offering. You see, that's one of your priests. (laughs) That policeman with a badge. He's one of your priests. And the judge with the black robes. He's one of your priests. He's out there to take care of the needy of society and protect them from you. And he needs lots of money to do that because he's got lots of help. And so he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. Just like it says in Samuel. And you think going to church is going to make a difference? Not going to the churches you're going to. That's just to make you feel good about the fact that you've already rejected God and somebody has taken and taken and taken and taken and taken. And you should have it taken. You're being slothful in the ways of Christ and Abraham and Moses. So I'm including Muslims and 
and Jews and even Buddhists. Buddha was just a social reformer. He said, don't make me a god. You know, the sight of me is not your salvation. That's the Buddha said that stuff. You know, he, he said, don't hurt one another. You know, hey, Christ said that. I think Buddha would have been a Christian had he known Christ, but he died 400 years before Christ was born. But now Buddhists, I don't know what the heck they're doing. They're all over the place, but so are Christians. So are Jews. I met a Jew who was a lawyer who was a member of a religious order in the Jewish religion. And he wore one of those little beanie hats, little Hanukkah, on his head in court. <laughs> he got away with that in court. I thought, wow, how'd you do that, man? That's cool. Because <laughs> you got to take your hats off when you appear before the gods of the court. That's right, gods of the court. And we'll show you that. We'll show you what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm beating you up with this. I'm rebuking you. All you guys out there going to church. And all you guys that think that, you know, your political solution and the Tea Party or whatever, you know, if you're a social democrat, I doubt you're listening, but you think religion has nothing to do with what you're doing? You just want to solve this with politics? And religion has nothing to do with it? You better take another look at what religion is. Religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That is the definition when the Constitution was written in Bouvier's Law Dictionary. Adapted to the Constitution. So when they wrote down their religion in the Constitution, that's what they were talking about. They're not talking about your opinion of the Supreme Being and your man-made icons of religion. I mean, your religious philosophy today is your graven image. You have created God with your doctrines. I read hundreds of doctrines of churches all over the country, even all over the world. Curious as to, you know, what these other guys are doing. I know what Christ was doing, but these guys claiming Christ, I want to know what they're doing. So I was looking at all their doctrines. I was shocked at the amount of doctrinal statements. You know, they have usually, you know, they can have anywhere between 10 and 200 doctrinal statements. How many of them are devoid of any words or directives of Christ? And some of the essential directives of Christ, he he gave directives, edicts from the king. This is the way you should do it. This is the way you should not do it. He's telling you. These are the kings speaking, okay? It's not even in their doctrines. They don't even make mention of them. As a matter of fact, in some of their doctrines, many of them, they say absolutely the opposite of what Christ said. And they don't even notice. It is a strong delusion. A strong delusion. And I'm here to shatter their icons. So anyway, I wrote this article, Are You Using That Word? Actually, it was, uh, you keep using the word was originally, but the people who published it at News with Views, they changed it <laughs> to Are You Using That Word? And it was to have different words at the end of the statement. The, the title is Are You Using That Word? And then the first one was religion. 
and like I said, I show right in the dictionaries, 1700s, 1800s, and 1900 dictionaries, it changing the definition of religion. You, if you do that, you're going to change the way people think. When they say religion, they're thinking this over here instead of what it was meant back in the 17 and early 1800s. Religion meant something different. So, I don't care what book you're reading, whether it's the King James Bible or whatever, religion is something different. You know, five times religion is mentioned in the Bible. It comes from a particular Greek word that they translate into religion regularly. Four of the times it's talking about religion in a bad sense. Only once does it talk about religion in a good sense, and that's talking about the widows and orphans. The needy of your society, how you take care of them. And that in order for it to be pure religion, you had to do it unspotted by the world. And the word world there, another one of those words they play with, meant constitutional order or system of government. Had a preacher say, oh no, we can't just make up definitions, we have to go by theirs. I says, okay, let's read theirs. Constitutional order system of government. <laughs> That's what it says. He didn't know. And I've told him this, and I've had to tell him that over and over again, because he keeps forgetting it, because he keeps falling back. You know, everybody is going down a muddy road. You know what happens when you go down a muddy road? It gets a, gets tire tracks, trenchy tire tracks. They get deeper and deeper and deeper in these tire tracks. And then you're about high centering, so you can't even go forward anymore. And so you want to drive out of the tire tracks so that one tire is on the center of the road and the other tire is up on the, you know, one of the sides. And then you'll be out of that trench. But he keeps falling back in the trench. If you leave him for two minutes, he's back in the trench of false religion. Because he was trained up in it for so long, he just can't get out of it. Somebody's going to have to die in front of him before he's going to actually wake up and get out of that false religion. And he, he, he just completely misses it. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. But we, we keep loving him and patiently rebuking him and hopefully that he'll get out of it. He's not a half bad guy. He's not far from the kingdom. But you know what's got him in prison? False religion. Religious doctrines that he has memorized. And he's sitting up there in the tree of knowledge thinking that he is worshiping God. And we're going to take a look at that word worship and find out what it really means. Because that's another word that they're playing with. But what I had one article that we've already talked about, jury and jury nullification. And in jury nullification, it means that the jury, 12-man jury, has the right to decide fact and law. So that the all of Congress and the Senate can get together and the President can sign something into law and says that if you do this, you're breaking the law and you have to be punished, etc., etc. They they do this because they're lawmakers. They're not titular leaders. They're not the head of a republic. They're head of a democracy, and they're using their power in the democracy to control everybody who joined the democracy, and that's you. You guys don't really live in the republic. You now live in a democracy within the republic, which is called the United States, because you've all become a party to the to the United States when you became these parties to the United States. Originally, the people weren't a party to the Constitution. 
It had nothing to do with it. You think somehow or other, oh, we've got to get back to constitutional government. Constitution was written to reign the people and the, it had nothing to do with, we, we the people wasn't the everyday average American. It was the guys who signed it. And congressmen and senators and everybody else who joined in. Well, now you joined in too, but you're now under administrative law and you're in a lot of trouble and we'll get to that later, but the point is, is the jury at one time in America could overrule all of Congress, all of the Senate, and even overrule the president himself and acquit somebody, saying that, yeah, they made this law, but we get to decide how to apply the law. So we're deciding fact and law. And they were the judges of the law. And that was the power of jury nullification. It wasn't just some privilege handed them. It was a right. It was an obligation, according to early Americans. And I have the articles up, and there's a connection to hundreds and hundreds of quotes about jury nullification. And the fact is, is when you go in now, you waive your right to jury nullification because you were asked to take an oath. Asked to take an oath. I can't find where there's a statutory requirement for an oath. But you're asked to take an oath. There's no written oath in the state of Oregon, according to the the only one who was allowed to answer the question. The judges said they couldn't answer the question. I had to go to the court administrator. And the court administrator said there was no oath. everybody just makes up an oath but basically the oath is saying that you're going to decide this case according to the laws of the corporate state of Oregon when they say state of Oregon that's what they're talking about because it's an administrative court They're, they're not interested in you know natural law or common law they don't even want the constitution in their courts this is administrative law come on guys I mean, I've had judges say that right out. I don't want the Constitution in here. Don't bring the Constitution in here. It doesn't have anything. It's administrative law because you've made covenants with them. You've applied for their benefits. You've joined their club. You're a, a member of the Corbin of Herod. That's right. You've been baptized into their church. And they're now their church exercises authority one over the other. That's how they can guarantee you benefits. Because we're going to force your neighbor to pay for your benefits. Oh, that's all contrary to Christ. It's right down the line with Herod and and Marcus Aurelius and Augustus Caesar. More Tiberius. Augustus started it, but Tiberius got it rolling. Claudius, he was really good at it. Very good organizer, that Claudius. Marcus Aurelius and Antonius Pius, the emperor before him. You know, the early Christians were telling you this all the time. You just don't get to study that. But And when you do, your brain just kind of fogs over it. And if you ask a question, your teacher's not going to tell you. I know, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But Justin the Martyr, who wrote the emperor of Rome, explaining how Christianity works. The rich among us share with those that don't have enough. Those who have share with those that don't have enough. And we gather every week to make sure that the poor is taken care of and the needy are taken care of in our society. Why is he telling the emperor that? Because Christians were getting into trouble. Because they 
weren't a part of the social welfare system of Rome. They were foreign to that. And we'll show you how that works when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. And I'll take you through it step by step so that you can get a clear image of what early Christians were doing and how you're not doing it when we return in a moment. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Let's take a look at this article. It starts off, What does the word jury and judges have to do with religion and faith? If you are allowed to change the meaning of those words, you might think they have little to do with each other. Altering your understanding of the truth begins with with changing your perception of words. That's sophistry. That is the tool of the devil. Been that way from the beginning. Surely you will not die. Yeah, surely you will die. Depends on what you mean by die. Right? Am I right? Am I right? Okay. If religion used to be what you did for your fellow man in conformance with what God wants you to do, which is to strengthen the poor, not weaken them. Not just what you thought about the supreme being and real faith was a conviction that compels you to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, something that Christ said you should be doing. Then what were early Christians doing and why did they get persecuted for doing it? If Romans 13 meant what your modern ministers are telling you it meant, then Christians should have been model citizens as far as the Roman and the Roman government was concerned. But instead, they were often dragged into courts before judges and accused of contumacy and persecuted merely because they were this label Christians, followers of Christ. What was following Christ have to, why was it so bad? You know, this contumacy is being stubborn, refusal to obey authority, or particularly law, willfully, in contempt of the order or summons of a court. What, what were the Christians, what were they in contempt of? It's a it's a word that's used in courts, and it comes from the Latin contumacia, meaning firmness or stubbornness. And it covers faith is a conviction, so you would be firm in your faith. But where was the conflict? What what were the Roman courts asking them to do that they thought they could not do and remain Christians? What what was what was it? Where was the conflict? Why? What are we missing about this early Christianity as Christ taught it? And are we willing to hear the truth if someone would have the courage to tell us? Because it's going to hurt. Because it's going to put the blame on you. Now, I know there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, but ultimately, you're going to have to realize you've been deceived. You've been fooled. You've been 
lied to, but you accepted the lie. And that's healthy to realize that you can be fooled. That you can't figure this out on your own. That's healthy. That's good. Christianity originally was called the way. They always talked about it as the way, the path. And, you know, it was a particular line of function. The modern church or or modern Christian doctrines often say to do uh, is not what the early Christians were doing. If a Christian by definition was someone who was following Christ, what did it mean to do things according to his way, his name, in his name, in his name, according to his character? Romans had a very promiscuous attitude concerning religion and the divine, you know, the supreme being, whatever he was or whoever he was or whoever they were. They they didn't really care too much about what you believed that way. But religion wasn't what you believed about the divine creator even back then. Religion was the way in which you acted. It's what you did. Worship even was what you did. So what is this dispute between them that brought this ridicule and contempt and even bloody persecution? What was the conflict concerning the Christian religion and Rome? Many put that dispute between those called Christians and Rome upon the deification of the emperors, of men, as living emperor gods of Rome. And that notion is poorly understood. Because besides not understanding the word religion, they also don't understand the word God. In Hebrew, in Greek, and other languages, even Sanskrit, the word diva is generally under understood as referencing some sort of God. But the ancient meaning of supreme being of your choice is not really what those words mean. Sort of is, but you would be surprised on the context that those words are normally found in ancient documents. Words like God, religion, faith have been changed in the minds of modern society. They've been changed in the past at times too, so you have to always look at when something was written and who wrote it and who's he writing it to. But elements of our society have ascribed New means to those old words. And yet they still read old documents as if those words mean back then what they mean to you today. They don't have to worry about the translation because they've already changed your dictionaries. We can't keep reading those documents as if those words meant today what they meant back then or vice versa. Augustus Caesar, who was really called Octavius, I mean, really was Octavius, that's his real name. Augustus means kind of savior, and Caesar was an office. And, you know, to refer to Jesus as your savior would go against saying Augustus was your savior. That would be a conflict. You would be considered a foreigner if you claim that Jesus Christ was king. And, of course, that's exactly what Because Jesus Christ's kingdom was not a part of the world of Rome, which was in a discussion with Pontius Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world, means constitutional order or system of government. That's the word they use there in the text. 
And according to theirs, that word means government. A constitutional order or government. And he's talking to who? The representative of Caesar who wanted to sit in the judgment seat of Caesar assigned to him when Caesar made him a god. That's right. Did you know Pontius Pilate was a god? Did you know that Caesar was a god? Absolutely, he was a god. In Because he was called Theos. When did they first start calling him Theos? Do you know that when that was in history? It's when he marched into Rome as the savior of Rome and they started calling him Augustus and they made him the Principas Civitas, first citizen or chief executive officer of Rome, a municipality. They also hailed him as Imperator, which meant commander-in-chief, because he was the commander-in-chief of the army of Rome. He just won the Civil War. And he began to offer them all kinds of benefits. At one time, half of Rome was receiving some of the government dole handouts, which included everything, not just bread, but wine and cheese and everything, even money at times, was being handed out to the people to help them. And and half of that money sometimes came out of the pocket of Augustus Caesar, which was a pretty full pocket, because when he defeated an enemy, he took all their possessions, all their lands, and so therefore all their rents and everything that normally were making them rich men, like Brutus, etc., was now making him a rich man. And people let that go because he was giving half of his wealth back to the people. Of course, he was keeping half of his wealth too. <laughs> Becoming wealthier and wealthier. Which is why people started killing off Caesars in order to <laughs> get that office. Because whoever got that office would get very rich. Nero, just ask him. He got so rich that he could fake his death and run off. <laughs> which I believe he did. Of course, I can prove it. But, yeah, lots of drama, lots of conspiracies in those days. But when did he get the first title of God? It was at this time. He actually requested it. He wanted to be the Apotheos of Rome. The Apotheos. A-P-O-T-H-E-O-S of Rome. That means he wanted to appoint all the gods of Rome. So now we, we hear that, oh my gosh, you know, oh, that's paganism. You know, multiple deities. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, my gosh. There's only one God. And do you have any idea what you're talking about? What What was he actually, who was he appointing? He was appointing judges, imperial judges, like Pontius Pilate. He was a judge. He was going to sit in the judgment seat. You know what they called a judge then? Theos. That's right, Theos, which we translate into God. All he was doing is appointing the imperial judges. The president of the United States appoints federal judges. So isn't the president of the United States a god? He appoints gods. Apotheos. That's what he does. He appoints all the federal judges. I remember once when uh, Bill Clinton, big headline news, Bill Clinton holds up Air Force One to get a haircut on the tarmac. Costing millions of dollars. You know, what, these guys getting overtime or something? This is Air Force One. It's already, it doesn't fly anybody anywhere except the president. That's what its job is. They're not going, he's not holding up the, you know, American Airlines here. This is his airlines. (laughs) 
But this is the headline story. He gets his hair cut. And so Air Force One didn't take off on schedule. It took off a little bit later. These guys got nothing else to do. They're the pilots for Air Force One. You know. And they just sat around and chatted with the stewardesses until they could take off. And the, the haircut guy could leave the airplane. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> anyway, it was probably not what was going on anyway, knowing Bill. He was doing a little chit-chatting of his own. But you know what happened that day? Bill fired all the federal judges throughout the empire. Oh, excuse me. The United States. The democracy of the United States. And hired back all the judges. Now, I, I don't know if all the judges got hired back. I'd have to go through the whole list of names. But something happened there. Something major happened there in the structure of your legal system. Now, you don't just do that for fun. That that was a shift. But all we heard about was the haircut. <laughs> it was just amazing. This must be part of that vast conspiracy somewhere. But the point is, is that the president has always had the power to appoint the federal judges. Just like Caesar had the power to appoint the imperial judges, which are just the federal judges of the Roman Empire. They didn't decide local matters. They decided imperial matters, federal matters. And, and that's what their job was. And they were... They held the rank of God. Judge. Ruling judges. That's what God means. Ruling judges. Now you think, oh well, that, that was the Roman word. The Hebrew word, Elohim, that means the divine creator. Well then, why is it translated judges in the Bible? Yeah. It's translated judges. Why are you told not to make covenants with them or their gods? He's talking about their ruling judges. These men who decide fact and law for you regardless of whether you have a jury or not. In many countries, they don't have the right of jury nullification anymore. They've waived it way back at the beginning. We usually waive it right there in the courtroom when you go to sit down in the jury. But this is what the gods were. Did you know that the United States government hails George Washington as a god? Yeah, that's right. This title meant that he appointed the judges. In the United States, George Washington was the first to be hailed by the same rank of God. Historians and linguists have known for years this reference to God and God's many found in the Bible. In both Old and New Testament were references to judges and rulers. Not only both Thayer's and Strong's Concordance verify this, but Kelmet's Dictionary of the Bible also verifies this. William Robertson of Edinburgh or Walter Henry Medhurst along with a list of Jewish grammarians even Professor Madden Mohan Sukla writing for the Vishvish Varan which is an Indological journal in India you know dealing with you know Sanskrit words etc will tell you the same thing they all say this word God applies commonly to kings and magistrates and judges. That's right. This word God is, you know, why do they say your worship? 
that's what they're doing. These are the God's many that you're not supposed to be making covenants with. The word God is related to the particular office and prerogative of judges and magistrates to administer oaths as the first principle of judicature and magistrate. These oaths are contracts, or you can call them covenants, that bind the people to the authority of others. These powers or rights relinquished by oath to kings, magistrates, judges, and rulers was prohibited by God of the Old Testament, make no covenants, and in the New Testament. So what am I talking about? What what does it say in the New Testament? Didn't Jesus say the same thing? About take no oaths? I mean, James, above all else, stop the taking of oaths, he says. Above all else, he says. Stop the taking of oaths. And you go back to Exodus 23.32. And remember, Jesus said, You want eternal life, keep the commandments. And what was the commandment? Thou shalt make no covenants with them, nor with their gods. What's he talking about? Gods. How do you make a covenant with a statue? You do it with a, a ruling judge. A man who can exercise authority one over the other. Why would you even do that? Benefits. Exodus 34.15 Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go whoring after their gods, their ruling judges, and do sacrifice to their gods, pay taxes, because they now owe taxes because they signed up. They became members. And one called thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. Take the benefit. That's eating of the sacrifices to take the benefit. Well, you wouldn't need to take the benefit if the churches were doing what they were supposed to be doing, feeding the sheep. You'd be full. You would be taken care of. You wouldn't need national health care. You wouldn't need free education. You wouldn't need social welfare. You wouldn't need social security. Because you had already went to church. That's right. That's what the early Christians were doing and they didn't like that. That's why they were being persecuted. Why were they so stubborn about that? Because Christ said it was not to be that way with you. Your ministers aren't telling you. And I rebuke them because I love them. I want them to repent. I want them to turn around. I want them to start going back the other way the way we used to be. If you had a need, if your house burned down, you didn't go to the insurance company. You didn't go to Allstate. You didn't go to State Farm. You went to church. You think you can't do that better in church than State Farm? They're in business to make money. You want to pick on State Farm, Prudential, uh, Mutual of Umqua, all these guys. They're in business to make money. They take in more. And they got all kinds of tax exemptions so that they take most of their money that they take in, they invest in businesses, and those businesses make money back for them, and they barely pay out a fraction of what they bring in in premiums, you know, in, in, in claims. You guys are missing it. You could do this better. You know, even... The Good Samaritan people, they're, they're showing you way less premiums, 
than most insurance companies, better coverage, and they're meeting all the needs, and they've cut out most of the bureaucracy. And it's people helping people. And it's very close to the kingdom, but it's not exactly, and we can show you those things, but we'll do that at another time. Deuteronomy 31.16 And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and his people will rise up and go whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whether they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenants which I have made with them. How'd they do that? They built statues and everybody go, oh, bow down. You're watching a B movie there in your head. They made covenants with their system of Corbin to obtain benefits from their neighbor. Forced extraction by men who were ruling judges, gods, who said, you didn't give your tithing. You didn't pay your tax, and we're going to penalize you. We're going to take your home. We're going to take your your savings. We're going to take everything, and we're going to garnish you and punish you and beat you and beat you and beat you because you didn't pay your tithing to take care of the needs of your community. That's your church. Those are your gods that are speaking to you. You know, you guys are missing the whole, all the way through. You know, go on to Deuteronomy 31.20. For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers that floweth with the milk and honey, and they have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then will they turn unto other gods. You've done that. That's what you did in America. And serve them. You serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. I think about this. Joshua 23.16 When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which ye had commanded you and have gone and served other gods other ruling judges and bowed yourself down to them Then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly and from off the good land which he hath given unto you. You don't own your land anymore. You know, I've gone through this before. Americans came here to own land that was free from taxation, untaxed by all the world, according to James Trussell Adams' March of Democracy, five volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. They owned their land. You don't. That's why you have to pay taxes on it. You're renting. You have legal title. You don't have the beneficial interest. And what is the beneficial interest? It's the milk and honey. You've lost that. You you have gone so far away. I know this is scary for you to hear. But you need to hear. But thank God there's a solution. The gospel of the kingdom. And there is enough time for you to start turning around and going in the right direction, like the prodigal sons you are, and God will run out and meet you halfway. And you will need that in the days ahead. There's an eclipse coming. And people always use eclipses as a mark of time. It's actually between the 18th and 19th, so it's mostly during last night. And we would have had to go north to see it. But time is marching in a direction. And things are happening. 
and there are eclipses in the spiritual realm that will take place and we will have those eclipses in our time. There will be darkness across the face of the earth and there is now because that strong delusion is so strong in the world today. And the covenant that I have made with you ye shall not forget, neither shall ye fear other gods. That's Second Kings 17.38 If you read back in 35 ye shall not fear other gods nor bow yourselves down to them nor serve them nor sacrifice to them but you are because you know not the Lord. Because your preachers are brutes. They aren't doing what the church did just a just hundred years ago. You would go to church if you had any need. Now you go to the government. Because that's your religion. That's very spotted. Not just spotted. It is You're downright immersed in that. You don't get anything from your church except for feelings. They have a list of social welfare from the government, the men who exercise authority, that they will send you to if you have any real need. That is completely contrary to the first century church. Now, what happens if you try to get back to the way the first century church was operating? You're going to get persecuted. And we'll talk about that next time on Keys of the Kingdom. How that works. You won't, you won't believe how far away you've gone. But that's great, because now you'll know the way back. Till then, may peace be upon your house. And may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking again about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about God's many and bowing down and serving those gods many and breaking the covenant with God and even eating of the sacrifices to those gods many which we were never to make covenants with to begin with. And of course, everybody has done that. And they feel a little guilty about it so they quickly run down to their local church corner and the church tells them they're saved because they think a thought. 
And it's okay that they covet their neighbor's goods. And it's okay that they bow down and serve other gods. Because that's okay. Because the church has already bowed down to serve those gods too. As a matter of fact, the church has become an institution of those gods. Not the god, but the gods of the world. The gods many of the world. Those ruling judges of the world. The ruling judges of the world have said, we're a church because we filed a 1023. And so now we're a church of the world. We're going to still take the name of Jesus, but we're going to use it in vain because we're not going to actually teach you that you're to live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. We're going to say that you're saved because you thought a thought and you said some words. That's witchcraft. Magic words don't save you. Chants don't save you. Hymns don't save you. Repentance will take you back to your father's house if you turn around and go back the other way. The other way was to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. The way of the world was to take care of you through forced contributions of Corbin, which was foolish in the days of Saul and was foolish in the days of John the Baptist and was foolish in the days of Jesus Christ in the early church. And the Christians were doing it anyway. But they repented and became real Christians and began to follow the ways of Christ and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And this irked the Pharisees so bad because you weren't a part of... You know, Herod had started this system of Corbin along with the, you know, the Pharisees and Herod and even the Sadducees weren't against it because they, a lot of them were social democrats because it kept the mob at rest. But they were really the money powers a lot of times. You have to have a two-party dialectic. you got to have Sadducees and Pharisees, which were really factions in a government of Israel. And your synagogues were not somewhere where you went and mumbled Jewish prayers like you see today. The synagogues actually you went there and got your social welfare benefits, the same as you did in Rome. That's where the temples were. And we'll get to that later. We were reading some of the places where they talk about bowing down and serving and even accepting the sacrifices of these gods and making covenants with them. And, you know, Jeremiah 11.10, And they turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my word. And they went after other gods, other ruling judges, to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenants which I made with their fathers. How did they do that? They made covenants with the gods of the inhabitants of the world. And what what, what are those gods? Those are the ruling judges of those worlds. The ones who, the lawmakers. And and the ones who sit in the judgment seat. That's what those gods are. Now they often had a symbol, you know, some sort of statue that they molded. And this was a representative of their authority. I mean, we have people with badges now that, that, you know, embossed badges that represent their authority. And their authority may come from the God of heaven in a righteous way, or it may come through an unrighteous way, which in most cases that's the way it comes today. And they aren't peacekeepers anymore. They're, they're a power in your community. You know, it used to say on the side of police cars when I was growing up, uh, protect and serve. 
there might be a question as to what they're protecting. Are they protecting you or are they protecting the establishment? <laughs> but, uh, but at least there was this, there was a better attitude when I was a kid and probably even a better attitude when my grandfather was a kid. But now I, I saw on a police car, not protect and serve, but a strength in our community. And they were out there to exercise authority and tax the people and force the contributions of the people. That's what they're there for most of the time. And yeah, they want to keep a little bit of order so that they have ordered slaves. And I hate to put it in such strong terms all the time because these people aren't all bad. They're just all confused. And they're all under a strong delusion. In Jeremiah 22.9 it says, Then they shall answer because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them and ate of their altars. They took the benefits of their altars. Once you understand that the altars of Abraham and Moses, the altars of clay and the altars of stone were actually part of a social welfare system based on free will offerings. That's what it says. Free will offerings of the people, for the people, by the people, to men who have set their lives aside to lives of service. Not lives of ruling over you, but lives of service. You create offices of service. If you do that, they cannot have the power to force the contributions. And no one did in Israel until the foolish Saul did it. And he was told he was foolish for doing it, forcing an offering. And that his kingdom would not stand for that very reason. That's the only way that your governments operate now. Is through forced offerings. And you've all made covenants with them and bow down and serve them and eat of their sacrifices. You're not Christians. And so therefore you need to create an artificial Christian church to make you feel good about not being Christians. And they take the name of the Lord in vain. Man, that is just so bold of me to say that, but that is what's happening. You know, back to the jury thing where you have the right to decide fact and law in the previous shows and articles I've talked about this. And we describe it out if so you can go through. Because I know a lot of the stuff, if you just come into one show and, you know, you haven't heard this stuff before, it sounds, oh my gosh, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, of course you don't. They want to keep you ignorant. But we spell it all out in books you can download for free and articles you can download for free and pamphlets you can download for free. And you got to go and study. And then you have to diligently apply what you learn. But Jesus said, ye are God's. Yeah, that Jesus said that. Ye are gods? Oh my gosh, in that paganism? That we're all God? No, you got to read it in context. you got to know the meaning of these words. What's he talking about? John 10.34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods, you are ruling judges. If you had the right of jury nullification, yeah. And what's he talking about? He's talking about Psalms 82.6. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. That's what he's talking about. He's just quoting David when he says that. But if you have the right to decide fact and law in a jury of your peers, where you can overrule the legislature and say, this man is innocent, oh my God. You're the ruling judge. You're the God. You know, in the last show, I talked about George Washington being this uh, ruling judge. You know, uh, this this apotheos. 
a pointer of God's. And the Bible, uh, not the Bible, but the uh, U.S. government website points out that uh, he is this apotheos, apotheos, a pointer of God's, raised to the rank of God. And in the U.S. government website, which you can go to, and we link to it in, in our article, uh, Rome versus Us, that Jesus is claimed, and I'm quoting here, rank of God. Not Jesus, excuse me. George Washington. George Washington is claimed to be raised to the rank of God in the painting in the Capitol Dome of the United States. And on the U.S. government website, it says that he is the apotheos. That's the name of the painting. Apotheos of Washington. It's painted by Constantine Bermidi, who was sent over by the Vatican. He was the official ceiling painter in the Vatican. He was sent over to paint the capital of the dome. Which is apropos. Should be. Painted by somebody like that. And the name of the painting was the Apotheos of Washington. And that he was literally by that painting raised to the rank of God. Because he appointed all the other little gods throughout the empire of the United States. The federal judges, which had almost nothing to do back then, because there were very few federal laws. But as time has progressed, there are more and more federal laws, and you can't help but you know walk down the street twenty minutes without breaking some federal law or another. I mean, there's tens of thousands. I always think it's funny when people say, "We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace." Well, you're not under grace. You're under the laws of those judges that are appointed by the apotheos of the United States. And it's the same in any other country. I don't want to pick on poor United States. We were once a pretty free nation, but that's all been abandoned by the people because of sloth and avarice of the people. So they've all gone whoring after other gods in order to obtain benefits at the expense of their neighbor. And they have all become merchandise human resources because of that. And I'm here to tell you that it's time to repent and make straight the way of the Lord. And this is this is my one-line sermon over and over again. Repent ye and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And it isn't righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Even though you've made a contract to do so, that's just having one purse and lurking privately for the blood of your neighbor. But it's your blood that's going to be taken and your children's blood. You see, because... All these systems are bankrupt and they're just borrowing against the blood of your children who will now become collateral for the debt. Their sweat and blood is collateral for the debt you're making every day. And you Tea Party guys are out there appealing to Congress that we're going to change this? That's fine. You know, I think it's a noble desire to want it changed, but let's get a divine strategy. You can start changing it now. Now, there will be persecution, but there will be the fire of God. It will bless you, believe me or not. I mean, this has worked. What you're doing, has that ever worked? Did you get to vote Nimrod out of power? Did you vote Pharaoh out of power? Did anybody ever vote Caesar out of power? Face it. The orcs and goblins of the world got the vote. They outnumber you. Write it down. What you have to do is change. 
That's right. You have to change. That is where you're at now. That is what you must do now, is change. That's what people, that's where we get to, where we have to change. And and I don't know any other way to tell you. You have to change. You have to become somebody different by living another way, to go another way. And until you change, nothing else will change. That's just the way it is. So, anyway, now that we understand that gods are ruling judges, men who have the power to exercise and decide fact and law, and that you no longer have that right in most cases because people are in administrative courts and they yeah, almost, you know, I sat on juries and uh, or in the jury box and I wouldn't take the oath and they still let me sit in there. I think they would have, when they asked for the second oath, I probably would have had a problem. They were desperate to get me out of there. But nobody was required to raise their right hand and take an oath. Everybody else did. I didn't. They still were, they didn't excuse me from jury duty. They just smiled. Okay, you don't have to. But all those other, the other, you know, 20 people there, they all just raised their right hand and took the oath and I sat down and they were fine with that. And not one of them came and asked me, how come you didn't have to take the oath? And we all did. And he says, well, you didn't have to take the oath. If they had come to me and asked me, I would have told them. You didn't have to take the oath. <laughs> they just asked you to raise your right hand. You did it. You're just a hoop jumper. Been that way all the time. But it's going to take something more serious than knowing, you know, the little ins and outs of avoiding waiving your rights of jury nullification. You're going to have to actually start walking in the ways of Christ. And so anyway, that includes not taking these oaths at all. And you can't hardly survive without taking them now. You're you're in the bondage of Egypt. You're going to have to be faithful with the unrighteous mammon. Mammon is entrusted wealth. And that's what you do when you pay into Social Security. That's the unrighteous mammon. Because it's forced contributions. Once you join, you have to pay in. Your ministers will kick in your door if you don't pay in. So you have to pay in. You're a part of that system. People always want to know how you get out of the system. It's it's not that complicated, but it's going to be really hard to survive when you get out. And I'm not interested in telling people how to get out of the system. I'm interested in telling people how to get into the system of the kingdom. How to get into what Christ was doing. Modern Christians, as a matter of policy, take oaths all the time. And despite the clear prohibitions by Christ. And uh, they don't understand that the Bible is actually showing you, and the Tea Partiers don't understand, the Bible is actually showing you how to form a free society, another form of government, an alternative form of government. Why? Because the unrighteous mammon is going to fail. And you need to start understanding and learning the skills of a righteous government. You've taken what wasn't half bad way back in 1777. And you've steadily made it worse and worse and worse and worse and worse because you've been strained from the formula. You know, John Wycliffe wrote in his introduction to the Bible that he translated in back in 1382. The Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's what the Bible is for. It's telling you how to run a government without exercising authority one over the other. 
Now, it only works for charitable people and loving people and people who have the character of Christ in them. You can't just say you love Jesus. You have to love him enough to do what he commanded us to do, which is to take care of one another, attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith. And you do this by gathering together, forgiving one another, and working at it. Back in the the days of Rome, there was little separation of religion and government in ancient republics. Even, you know, Israel was a republic. They always talk about it as a theocracy. But they don't know what they're talking about. But it was a republic. The leaders were the Levites, and they were titular. They couldn't force the contributions of the people. Nobody could. There was no king in Israel. They had to form a government based on faith, hope, and charity. And they did this by forming congregations of tens. And then they gathered in in groups of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. And this created a network. By networking these ministers together, these men of service who couldn't kick in your door or force the contributions, you formed a national government that could deal with local problems and national problems. Invasions, calamities, famines, whatever. They could deal with it because... They had a system of social welfare to help people out when they needed help. This is foundation of society. And it was that way in Rome. And if you if you listen to all the series that we are putting together on this subject, you'll see, because I go through that history in previous shows, when the social welfare schemes became imposed instead of this voluntary system of faith, hope, and charity, through public authorities, government powers, and control centralized through this social compact, which is stepping away from the laws of nature, leaders often become rulers. They become the gods, the ruling judges. Support for the needy becomes compulsory in a top-down bureaucracy like Nimrod's Babylon and Hammurabi's Ur or Sodom and Gomorrah. They had charity there. They had social welfare, just like they did in the days of Caesar. But it did not strengthen the poor. It increased the poor. It made them more slothful, more dependent. You feed the bears, they become dependent. Write it down. These centralized powers that exercise authority one over the other were corrupted as society became weaker because power corrupts and apathy corrupts and makes you weaker. Don't use it, you lose it. Love and honor that had uh, fostered a viable free society through voluntarism became contracted and bound by the enforcement of this social compact by these rulers, these gods of the nation, these men who could exercise authority one over the other, these ruling judges. And people had to bow down and serve them. And they lived in palaces and they spent and squandered money. Because they had the power to do it. Saul did it. Many of the kings, you know, David did it from time to time, but he kept repenting of it. Christians were cast out of the social welfare schemes like the Corbin of Herod and Pharisee uh, that were compelled offerings once you signed up and received the baptism of Herod, which we've explained before. Herod was baptizing people into the kingdom of heaven. That's right. But his idea was once you were signed up, registered, no longer idiotis, but you were signed up and registered, you had to pay in. And your benefits came to you by way of the synagogues because that was their government. 
And they had scribes, bookkeepers, to keep track of the funds everywhere. You didn't need scribes when you were doing it the way God said. You did need, your ministers were your scribes. They kept records of how much they received and how much went out and they, this was their witness to the men within their network so that the men within their network would know he's doing a good job. You know, I'm going to support him. I'm going to recognize him as a minister. You don't go to the adversary governments of the world who exercise authority one over the other to get their witness that you're a church. You don't go get a determination letter from Satan. You get a determination from other men of God who bear witness that you are doing what Christ said according to the way they believe. And you don't go to them unless they believe the way you believe. And what am I talking about? All the little nitpicking little doctrines that you guys are creating in your tree of knowledge? Or the basic fundamentals of loving one another and caring for one another and providing for one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? You know, this Latin word, uh, templum, which we translate into temple, it didn't really have anything to do with a building. It's not, it's not a building. And originally the templum was a place. It's like an altar might be there. It was a place where you conducted certain business of society. It was a sacred place. It was a separated place. You know, it was kind of like Ollie Ollie Olson free. You, you go there and you had this asylum place. In order for that asylum place to be operated, you had to have priests or cohens or, uh, whatever you want to call them, ministers. And they had to be separate too. And, and we see Moses separating the Levites out. They shall be separate. They belong to God. They are they are dedicating their lives to the service of the templum, this place where you conduct some sort of business of society. What business are you conducting there? This is a separate district, a, a sacred place. And you go to that sacred place and, you, and no war there, no fighting. This is where we settle issues. This is where we conduct court. This is where we give out free benefits. This is where we make our sacrifices on the altars. You know, when they took those sheep, they weren't just setting them on fire and burning them up. They were slicing them up, cooking them, and distributing them amongst the needy of their society. And they didn't just bring sheep. They brought all kinds of things. And sheep were just like currency. Now, yeah, if you look at the Pharisees at the time of Christ, they were doing all that kind of stuff, although they did have their social welfare too. They had their soap factories and everything else. Because they had all the fat. And you could make soap with that. And they'd sell it. And they'd make money. They were rich. But they had strayed from the formula. Where did they stray? And where they strayed is where Christ was bringing them back. This separate district, which was your worshipping place, the Anglo-Saxons had a word, Weord, skipe, which we turned into worship. This word worship, it meant a condition of being worthy. That's what worshiping was. Are you worshiping? They're saying, do you have the condition of being worthy? Well, it's, it's another way of saying, are you righteous? That's right. Do you have value to the community? Are you a contributing member of community? Or are you some slothful, lazy vagabond that you know, some sad dude that is not 
contributing anything to the community but just sucking the life out of the community, standing on the corner saying, I'm homeless, give me something and you'll feel better. (laughs) This is what worshiping was. It was you striving to be in the state that you ought to be in. It meant, like I said, being righteous. The word worship in the sense of religion had to do with piety and the practice and the fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. The fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. In other words, providing for the needy of your society in a way that strengthened the poor. According to John Bovier's definition of what religion was. But today, you think it's someone who has, you know, belongs to this church or that church or that church. We don't want you belonging to a church. We want you belonging to God. And the only way to do that is start doing what he said. You see, if you really started doing what he said, you would be persecuted. You don't live in a country that will not persecute Christians and does not persecute Christians now. You live in a country that persecutes. I don't care what country you live in. If you were real Christians, you would be persecuted. And we'll talk about how that works when we get back. You won't believe it, some of you. Some of you are beginning to wake up. And I pray that most of you start to wake up now and hear and do the Word of God. Be right back. Welcome back. We're talking about these gods. Many, their gods are uh, these many ruling judges and lawmakers who decide good and evil and regulate the people. And they regulate the people who have made covetous covenants or contracts with those gods many to obtain their benefits. That's right, to obtain their benefits. Now, we have lots of supporting articles that explain the details, so I know that this is new to a lot of you to hear, but it's really very important that you understand this throughout the Bible. Jude 1, 11, New Testament. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? I mean, there's the way of Christ, faith, hope, and charity. What's the way of Cain? What did he do? He started a city-state. That's right. He started the first city-state. That, that's not ordained of God. That's ordained of Cain. And reigned greedily after the heir of Balaam. Balaam. What does that mean? Conquered people. Balaam. What does Nicolation mean? Conquered people. Heir of Balaam. Heir of Nicolation. Same thing. What was the problem? The heir of Balaam. For reward. Greedy for reward. And perished at the gainsaying of core. Second Peter, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. That's, that word riot is, it's actually look for the easy way. You know, the quicker, faster, the dark side. <laughs> Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Feast with you. Eat. They're sitting and eating with rulers and being who are men who exercise authority one over the other. And they are full of appetite. They want more and more and more and more and more benefits. And more and more of them want them. And they got the vote. This is, this is what's going on here. And people are missing it. 
What they call religion in their churches today is actually part of a strong delusion that makes the word of God to none effect. They need their churches to excuse their Corban, which is that Corban of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect because it's not based on charity. It's based on force. It's based on covetousness. According to the word of Christ himself, he told you this. Jesus rejects those that do not do according to the word of God and calls them workers of iniquity. Psalms 14, verse 1 through 4. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men and to see if there were that did understand and seek God. Do you understand what it means to seek God? To do the will of the Father? To live together by faith, open charity and not by forcing one another to contribute to your welfare? This is the kingdom of God that you're supposed to be seeking as, as, a, as a system of righteousness. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. They're all. This is what I've come upon and woken up to. That they all have become filthy. There is none that is doing the righteousness. The word of God. None that doeth good. Not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people? See, that's what you're doing. You're not only eating up your people at this stage. Eating up your neighbor by applying for these benefits and forcing your neighbor to work two jobs so that he can pay his taxes so that you can have free education. You're eating up the children of your neighbor. The unborn children. No wonder there's abortion. You're all selling your children into a curse of debt because you keep taking these benefits. You're telling the government to spend less. Why don't you take less? Homeschooling, home health. You can't do all that unless you gather together with other people who are seeking that. Not just for themselves, but for others. Get into the system of God. You will be cast out of the system of the world. Who eat up my people as they eat bread. 45 million Americans on welfare food stamps. They're eating their neighbors when they apply for those benefits. I'm not saying you can't. I don't want you to starve yourself to death. I want you to start coming together and forming a network and a society that will take care of your needs without sucking the life out of your neighbor and your neighbor's children. And call upon the Lord, because right now they call not upon the Lord. They call upon the gods of the world. There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye shall, uh, ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because... The Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. That's what you are captive. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. 
But you have to come back from that captivity by turning around and going the other way. Psalms 28.3 Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. That's what you do in church. You go to church, oh yeah, I love you, I love you. But, you know, if I have any need, I'm going to send these guys over to your house and they're going to kick in the front door and make you pay for what I want. Because I want benefits. I want lots of benefits. I want health care. I want free education for my kids. Because, I, I mean, I can't stand these kids into summer. I can't wait till school starts to get rid of my kids. Now, I know there are many out there that are homeschooling that would never even think that. Oh, you might think it once in a while. <laughs> I mean, kids really draw the... Uh, the impatience out in the open where you can see it. But that's good. You know, because that's what makes you stronger. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Well, they don't. That's why I got to talk on the radio for four or five hours a day sometimes. <laughs> Trying to tell you what you're missing. Because those brute beast pastors that you have made rich aren't telling you the truth. They're giving you a bunch of, you know, positive thinking and, you know, I declare stuff. Well, I declare you're workers of iniquity. Repent. Turn around. I mean, that's what John the Baptist was saying. He wasn't saying, think positive. He was saying, start doing right. (laughs) What did Christ say? Seek ye the righteousness of God. Not that self-righteousness of I declare. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread. They have not called upon God. That's in in Psalms 53, 4. He repeats it. In Psalms 59, 2. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. Because they seek privately to have the blood of their neighbor. In Psalms 141.9, he says, Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. What are these snares? Through covetousness you shall be made merchandise. You shall be snared. You shall be trapped. We talk about this in the book Higher Liberty, We get, which is a great source of Bible study because we have so many quotes in there. We just A lot of times we have to just put verse and chapter... Uh, Numbers, so you can look it up yourself in order to save space because the book's only 150 pages long. But it'd be a great study guide because you can sit there with all the people in your little congregations and, and look them up. Luke 13:27. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And that's what you're doing. You're eating up your children. You're eating up your neighbor. You're eating up your grandchildren now with death. And that makes you a worker of iniquity. And he's going to tell you, get lost. Get me from me. Loving one another. Sacrificing. Giving and forgiving. Binding society together by a system of voluntary charitable welfare. Was at the core of what Christ taught. What John the Baptist taught. The keys to the kingdom is what and how you bind society together and how you free your neighbor from your demands of social welfare by force. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. 
So if you are operating by the ways of Kor and Bilaam and the Nicolaitans and Satan himself and forcing one another to contribute to your welfare, you are bound to hell. If you do it by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, strengthening the poor with a righteous charity, which you cannot do unless you get to know one another, then you are bound to heaven. Your character determines your fate. The kingdom of heaven is for the living. Don't worry about tomorrow. But worry about what you do today. What would happen if you wanted to privatize welfare, health care, social security, and even education? Do you think the governments of the world we see today might object? Well, they do. I can show you example after example on many shows we've talked about it. It's against the law to teach your kids at home in many countries. And there are, there are people in power, the ruling judges, the attorney general, says you have no fundamental right to teach your children at home, even though international fundamental rights state that you do have the right to decide the education of your children. But this is the spirit of evil that is coming into the world to take your children from you. You don't believe me? You don't believe me that this is what Christianity was? In the second century, there was a guy, Celsus, he was a Platonist. He believed in Plato and a lot of what Plato said. And this was during the term of Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome. He wrote, opposed that he, that he personally opposed the sectarian tendencies at work in the Christian movement because he saw in Christianity a privatizing of religion. Remember, religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. That's what it meant back then. And he saw Christianity privatizing this. And the transferal of religious values, worship, works, worth, from the public sphere to the private association. He doesn't realize, Celsus doesn't realize, that when Rome went from a republic to an empire, it moved from the privatized caring for the needy to a public caring for the needy. All Christianity was doing was going back to that republic. You want to live in a republic? You have to change your religion to privatizing the care of the needy of your society. If you tea partiers won't address that, and I, I just use them metaphorically, tea partiers. I don't even know what tea parties are. But these people who are trying to take political action and change things back to the republic, you need to change your religion back to privatizing the care of the needy of your society. You don't take care of one another. I'm not talking about taking care of every drug addict and dope dealer on the corner and every horror that's out there, you know, claiming to be a, uh, you know, abandoned wife or something and she's actually just a horror. And she's collecting money at night and she's collecting money in the daytime from the government and at night from her johns. You think that doesn't go on, folks? <laughs> Guess again. Guess again. <laughs> goes on in many shapes and forms all the time. And you're paying for it. But in the system set up by God, that don't happen. Religious values are ethical principles like not coveting your neighbor's goods. And Christians had that principle, that religious value. So therefore, they had to form a religious system of faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty to care for their needy. And that's why I was reading from Justin in the last show where he said those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. 
if you want to look it up, it's in uh, 6567 of the Apology of Justin the Martyr. And I'll, I'll quote it exactly. And the wealthy among us help the needy and willing give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is dis, uh, deposited with the president. They actually you translate that word that he originally wrote in it was the Greek. And the president who succors the orphans and widows, that means the needy of society, and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. And those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning amongst us. And in a word, take care of all who are in need. Why is he writing that to Antonius Pius? Because he's explaining how the government of God works. Is that what you're doing in your churches? No. Why? Because your churches are apostate. Why? Because you are under strong delusion. Because you want your churches just to make you feel good about being not Christian not followers of Christ, not doing what he said, not doing what the early church said, and you need to repent of that. And I'm here to smack you upside the head with the truth so that you do repent. Now, we're forming a network. You can gather with us. You can gather with somebody else, but I recommend you highly gather with us. But form real congregations of record and form that network of Faith, Open Charity in home churches, home congregations, that actually care about one another. I mean, what am I saying that's so bad? I'm saying, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness with all your heart, mind, and soul. And stop seeking the benefits and rewards of Balaam and Kor and Cain and, and the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. I'm not saying you can't take those. I don't want to see you starve. But I want to see you seeking the kingdom, turning around and going the other way. The leaders of the Pax Romana were the gods of the people because they were the providers for the people. Read our article on Nimrod, the mighty hunter. Christ's appointed government was not a part of the Roman world. Go read our article on not of this world. Appointed? Yeah, Jesus says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. He's talking to the apostles, his little flock. He said he was going to do that. He said he was going to take the kingdom away from the Pharisees and appoint it to somebody else. And yet people say, oh, uh, Israel is this and the church is this. No. The kingdom of God was Israel. The kingdom of God we call the church today. But it's not the church you're seeing out there. That's the apostate church. And where is the real church? I don't know. You show me. Will the real church please stand up and start doing what Christ said? according to the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity. Christians were foreign in that they did not sign up for public religious benefits that came from men who exercised authority one over the other, nor the free bread of Rome, nor the free cheese or the free wine of Rome. They gathered together in faith, hope, and charity. You know what the response was to, uh, to some of this stuff? Uh, there, was a, there was a guy, uh, Severus, Severus, who published a cruel edict amongst the Christians in the year of 2002. It was the, I think that was about the 10th year of his reign. But the general laws of the empire were already against foreign religion. And the former uh, edicts of several emperors against the Christians were sufficient to warrant many of the governors uh, to uh, bring the sword out against Christians. But he he was doing it again in 2002. And it was in relationship to... Uh, 
a couple of guys who were bringing in some very important statements that we find of the martyrs. And I was looking for one of them uh, here. I thought I had it here, but maybe I don't. Maybe I've got it somewhere else. But anyway, he, he was... There was a Vigilius Saturninus, proconsul of Africa in about 180 CE, addressed a seeming anti-social behavior of Christian martyrs with this. This is what he said to them. We, too, are religious. Again, when he says religious, he's talking about we take care of the needy of our society. We fulfill our duty to our fellow man, because that's what it meant. And our religion is simple, he says. We swear (laughs) by the genius of our Lord, the Emperor, who we apply for his benefits. That's what he says. We apply for his benefits, as you also ought to do. This was the dispute between Christians and Rome. They wouldn't apply for their benefits, their religious benefits, their social welfare. Why? Because it was collected by men who exercised authority one over the other and kick in doors and throw people in jail and confiscate property. The Levites couldn't do that. The early church couldn't do that. They had to depend on faith, hope, and charity. But they didn't have, they weren't entitlements. If you weren't contributing, they wouldn't have to give to you. They could only divide what they were given. And those that had shared with those that didn't have. Isn't that what John the Baptist says? If you have two coats and they have none, share. That's it. That's simple. You either do it by exercising authority or you do it by charity and love. That's as simple as that. What was the response of the Christians who they were persecuting and eventually put to death? I know not the genius of the emperor of this world. What is he talking about world? A constitutional order or system of government. But I serve the God of heaven, whom no mortal man hath ever seen or can see. I never committed any crime punishable by the laws of the state. I pay the public duties, public duties. In other words, if he uses the harbor, he uses the roads, he pays the gas taxes, or you know whatever it is. I mean, they had taxes on the number of axles that you had on your carts. You would be taxed when you went down the road. He pays that. I pay the public duties for whatever I buy. Sales tax. Acknowledging the emperor for my temporal lord. But I adore none but my God, who is in the king of kings. Who is the king of kings, the sovereign lord over all the nations of the world. I have been guilty of no crime, and therefore cannot have incurred punishment. But they punished him anyway. Because they were jealous. But what was the beef again? He wanted you to apply for the benefits of Rome. They want you to sign up for their national health care. If you don't, they'll fine you. They want you to sign up for their public schools. If not, if if you're going to try to teach your kids at home, they're going to try to persecute you. In many countries, it's outlawed. People are actually fleeing countries like uh, Sweden and Germany. Because they can't teach their kids at home. And we used to be an asylum for that. But under the present Attorney General of the United States, he thinks they shouldn't have asylum for that. Because he thinks you have no fundamental right to teach your children. Because they're not your children. They're the state's children. 
That's what he thinks. And that's been coming for a long time. We've got a lot of stuff on that. But anyway, I wanted you to understand this much. I wanted you to understand what we're talking about here. Who are they? Who do you worship? Who do you serve? Who do you bow down to? Whose sacrifices do you eat of? Is your church doing what the early church did? If you started doing it, would you be exempt like the Good Samaritans? They were exempt. They'll lose their exemption eventually. But if you're really the church established by Jesus Christ, you have an exemption, and that exemption is in Christ. But you're not if you're not doing what Christ said. And you're not taking care of the needy amongst you by faith, hope, and charity. You're not gathering together to serve one another as Christ came to serve you. If you're not loving one another as Christ loved you, then you're not His holy church. Come strive with us to be His holy church. Seek His ways of righteousness. Till then, may peace be upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.